Hello everybody and welcome to a Kane and Rince interview special. This is in uh, honour of our recent issue 253 of the Kane and Rince podcast, which you should have uh, had downloaded to your devices oh, very recently, possibly in the last day or so, all about Street Fighter 3. And uh, following up with this, we've got a very special guest he is, uh, he is a broadcaster, a writer, and a computer games professional, but he is also relevant to this. He is a world warrior and a global champion. It is Ryan, the prodigal son, Hart. Welcome. Hello, thanks for having me. It's great to be on the, your show. Oh, thanks for joining us, uh, taking time out of your Sunday to be here with us. We, uh, yeah, so we've talked a little about Street Fighter 2 in the past in our uh, in our manner which is uh, we have some we have some fighting game community uh, fans among the team and, and in, in the Kane and Rince community but I think by our own admission we are keen enthusiasts I mean we've all been playing fighting games for well in my case since they started in uh, with Karate Champ and, and Yi'ar Kung Fu and stuff like that um, and I've been playing Street Fighter since it since it happened but I've never been more than a uh, a scrub really uh, an enthusiastic scrub um so i'm i'm blown away by uh by the 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 sort of how it's um evolved into this amazing professional scene now um yes. and so with a with a view to that um well first i'm interested like obviously this is your focus now but i assume you also have a history with video games in general other games other genres other formats um, how did you come to to fighting games, and were you just a mad video gaming kid as a kid? Oh yeah, of course. Yeah, there's been a lot of other genres that um, played their role in my gaming history. Um, I think my first gaming experience was probably uh, I don't know some kind of Space Invaders type game on the Vectrex, yeah. very old. Yeah. Um, and then after that, I remembered wandering into an arcade and finding Golden Axe and playing that and thinking that was awesome. Yes. And it was just, um, you know, as a, as, a, as, a, as a 10 year old boy, it was just fascinating that I could press a button yeah. and produce an instant reaction, almost like turning on a light switch on the, on the screen that I was watching. Yeah. Um, I didn't really know the game, but, you know, it was pretty simple what you had to do. You basically had to beat as many bad guys as you could without losing yourself. Yeah. Um, and that soon became addictive and... Um, my, it was twenty pence for a credit back then, so yes. I'd have my I'd have my pound coins all changed up and spend all my twenty p coins on this one game, trying to get further than I did the last time I lost, um, and that became an addictive thing, you know, that 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 personal challenge, trying to better your performance each time, yeah. Um, and yeah, and, and that's where it started. So it wasn't really a one-on-one fighting game endeavor that really got me into it. It was more sort of like side-scrolling action games that I got into. Yeah. Um, I think uh, Shinobi, also another one I got into, Double Dragon. Yeah. Um, you know, so a lot of these old games that were really popular back then um, were where I started um, in terms of arcade gaming, anyway. And then I had um, a Sega Master System at yeah. first. Um, I think I had before that a Commodore 64, and then before that even a Commodore 16. So, nice. um, yeah, so definitely um, uh, giving some some, uh, some some clues away as to, to what generation I'm from. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you're, <laughs> but, um, you're, in, you're from the same era as me and Mikhail here, I think. Yes, yeah, yeah, slightly, yeah. Younger, so, slightly younger. <laughs> so yeah, you know that's the thing um, that started me off in gaming, and of course it was a general uh, interest, you know, in just playing games, you know, being a fun thing, a fun way to express yourself, a fun way to socialize with friends, and um, yeah, it was just what I enjoyed doing. Um, I did a lot of other things as well, but I definitely remember that the gaming life, in terms of when arcades started to get a bit more popular, was where I spent a lot of my time. 
we were we, we did a Golden Axe podcast uh, last summer on the whole the whole Golden, Golden Axe series uh, as it carried mm. on, and we were actually talking about there there are some. Um, uh, it's, Golden Axe is probably the game that I've completed more times than any other single video game. I've just I don't know what it is, but I just play through it every every year on whatever format it's out. And I was saying yeah. at the time there are actually some of the the fundamentals with with old the old progressive brawlers and beat-em-ups like that 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 do relate to um to versus fighting games which is specifically timing of uh, wake-ups like that was like the absolute key to winning at double dragon and golden axe was um was timing the animation frames particularly on like the bosses that's, like the final boss that's very true that's yeah. very true yeah for example the giants on golden axe if you yeah. didn't move out the way they could hammer you again straight away or death adder could hammer you again like there were definitely big advantages to knowing the exact timing to jump up and release your magic or to jump up and walk up or down the screen yeah. and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and it just generally it becomes a mission of optimizing what you're doing, you know, finding the best ways to maintain the advantage on the opposition. Yeah. So for example, you know, like once it got really competitive, you know, where you were playing, because, you know, just completing the game became a bit boring after everyone could do it. So it became a question of, well, can you complete it without losing a life? Can you complete it without getting hit? You know, if you don't lose one blue rectangle, like, you know, who can do that? So then it became a question of how to optimize your positioning on the screen. So you're not putting yourself in harm's way. You're not jeopardizing your health. So then it was like, okay, we're going to just start doing jump and attack all the time, you know, and we found out that jump and attack was like the best thing in the game because they had no answer for moves that came in from the air. Yeah. So you could always jump and attack on every single character in the game with every single character. So it didn't really matter who you picked as well. Yeah. So, you know, then the, the challenges increased. It was like, well, who can go the longest without getting hit by any black skeletons? So you see us just Whoa. standing there in the middle of the screen, waiting for black skeletons to appear, because if you take too long, they come out, and then just yeah. seeing who can eat the black skeleton without getting hit. And then that got boring, because if you stay at the bottom of the screen, they never get out of the death stab. You can just run and do the long death stab, and they always get hit. So we kind of, just through being competitive people by nature, yeah. evolved this very basic platform of competition. Mm. And um, it's really interesting because I think Street Fighter is similar to that now. People are always looking for ways to optimize what they're doing to find better ways to maintain their offense and, and deal out damage to get them the victory that way. Yeah. And, uh, and Golden Axe, of course, that was uh, a couple of years before Street Fighter 2. Obviously, it came after yes. Street Fighter 1, but we're probably not talking about Street Fighter 1. Um, but it also uh, it brought in the grading system. So uh, that was a game that gave you a, a school report, basically, on how well you played. And, and exactly as you're talking about, if you'd played without taking much damage and uh, I, I don't know exactly what the algorithm was I think we talked about it a bit on the podcast but um, uh, exactly as they ended up bringing in with Third Strike uh, Capcom started grading your performance and in, in some ways it was a throwback to that. Yes that's true actually I remember that grading system because I always hated it and I never agreed with what it gave me but um, yeah um, it's a nice concept you know it's an interesting way to gratify your victory I just don't think that the execution of it was that effective on Third Strike because at the end of the day, yeah. if you won, you didn't care what happened. And if you lost, then nothing mattered anyway. So it wasn't really like, you didn't really lose and think, oh, well, I got a B plus. So, you know, and you didn't really win and think, oh, it wasn't an S plus, yeah. so I'm not happy. So I think that, you know, like 
in that sense it wasn't really i mean this is just competitive now you know like if you're talking about playing against another human of course versus a cpu you might be trying to go for a certain record of gradings and then in that case it might be rewarding it might give you another reason to play through the arcade mode you know the campaign so i guess there might be benefits for it but i just think in the versus mode it didn't really have that many um, yeah. uses in, in that sense, it makes more sense in the context of games like Bayonetta or Devil May Cry to, yeah. to get grades and ranks. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's more of a camp, one-on-one campaign. Uh, uh, so one versus CPU campaign thing. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Yes, uh, and also for those of us who are very mediocre at, at Third Strike, uh, it's normally just a reminder of how mediocre we are. <laughs> like I can get through <laughs> yeah. the game, but I'm just getting Ds and whatever. You know, so it just <laughs> makes me feel really, really. Uh, uh, really ordinary, um, yes. which is which is fine. But uh, so um, so progressive brawlers kind of uh, along with uh, shmups kind of ruled the arcades in the the mid to late eighties. But then Street Fighter Two happened um, in ninety one, and uh, particularly when Champion and Turbo came on, it kind of uh, it exploded. Uh, and were you there from the start in the arcades? And uh, I was I was there from in? Street Fighter. I was there from Street Fighter One. Being awarded chip shops from the chip shop, uh, being awarded chips from the chip shop owner because I completed wow. the game without losing. So, yeah, there there were even incentives at that young age. They were like, you know, if you can complete the game, I'll give you a free place and chips. Like it was hilarious. But like thinking back, it's so funny. But yeah, so I've definitely been there from the inception. It's just um, uh, uh, from the conception. Sorry, yeah. but yeah, it's just been quite. Um, big difference uh, from Street Fighter 1 to 2 yes. because 1 was obviously more about playing the CPU whereas 2 became not just about playing someone else but super competitive like suddenly out of nowhere suddenly everybody wanted to be the best player so, like literally overnight yeah. it became this super competitive endeavor to beat someone at Street Fighter 2 I've never seen an arcade so packed you know it was like mm. Every single Street Fighter 2 cabinet, at least during the very beginning period when it was fresh, was fully packed with people trying to work out how the new characters worked, trying to understand how to do the special moves that they'd seen the computer do. Like, it was insane. And yeah. it was you were just dissolved into this world really suddenly. You didn't really have a chance to understand what exactly is going on. But what was happening was the FGC was being born. You know, yeah. that's what was happening. It, it's incredible. Yeah, it's really incredible how that one single game just facilitated so much. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, you know, it's something people obviously wanted. They wanted a way to combat, you know, combat each other in the arcade space in a way that wasn't, you know, um, very taxing time-wise. You know, like Street Fighter, you get the win or loss quickly and you get back into the game quickly as well. That fluidity in the transition between matches is really good. The fact that you can lose, so you've lost, but you have a chance again now. Right, you're back in, you know? And in second, you might have got the win, and now it's one apiece. But now there's something else. So it's always, it's always like fast and furious, you know? It's always keeping the momentum going, and that is really good. And that, I think Street Fighter 2 encompassed that model perfectly. Mm. Mm. Yeah, so you obviously do have, as do I, memories of the arcades uh, in the early 90s and the scene. Uh, and then it start, obviously the clones started coming in 92. We got Mortal Kombat and SNK were making games like World Heroes Perfect. Yeah. And, uh, and then they moved on to King of Fighters and, and Fatal Fury and whatever else. Um, 
So there was, yeah, uh, I, I often recount on our podcast about uh, the days. I come from Brighton myself, and we were blessed with a lot of arcades, like, you know, more, more like a dozen arcades down the seafront. And we had pretty much every cabinet you could play. And all the Eastern Asian community of students and things like that from around the area were lined up playing playing the various fighting games. It was uh, it was a heady time, and, and uh, I miss it badly. And obviously the, the modern FGC goes some way to kind of uh, replacing that, although you can't just go downtown and join in. You, you know, you need to go to events and stuff like that. Was yeah. there was there a moment when because um, obviously you could you got your place and chips because you could finish Street Fighter One and that was no mean feat either by the way depending on what settings the the uh, chip shop owner had put his uh, his PCB onto whether he fiddled yeah. out with that I don't know um, but uh, but was there a point when you started playing Street Fighter Two when you thought hang on I'm I am better than average at this and I could definitely um, I can definitely more than hold my own. Yeah, I definitely came, I mean, I definitely, hmm, I definitely realized that I'm not doing as well as certain other players. And I think, so it didn't start with, oh, wow, I'm good. It started with, oh, wow, I'm bad. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it started with, I'm not that good um, because I can't be so-and-so who I then deem to be good. And I think once I could do well against the people that I thought were good, I thought, well, maybe that means I'm good. And uh you know but then there's still always the reality that there's my there's other people out there that you don't you don't know about and that that could also be good or there's so and so that you haven't played yet that you've seen looks good and so on so yeah there's definitely a moment of of awareness um but i don't know if that changes your perception on reality at that point you, you know i don't know if that means that you suddenly just become arrogant or suddenly start thinking you're better than everyone you know it, but yeah there's definitely a moment of realizing that hey I'm, I'm doing okay at this well uh i should say um the two uh, other panelists we had on our street fighter 3 podcast are, are people that you you've met uh, around and they both had uh, nothing but kind words to say about you said uh, ryan's a lovely guy and uh you know they were they were keen to stress there's there's uh, there's no obvious ego or arrogance about you so well, they clearly haven't seen me playing monopoly but yeah okay <laughs> monopoly oh god yeah no. that, that's when the when the monster comes out yeah, yeah. that's where every monster comes out like yeah. nothing <laughs> comes out of monopoly that's um, capitalism yeah totally yeah um so right street fighter 2 was 91 we're here in 2017 so uh what can you remember your first street fighter tournament like wh- how long ago was that now yeah, of course. Um, very long ago. Uh, I, I went to my first Street Fighter tournament in 1994. Yeah. It was held in the London Trocadero and it was sponsored by KISS FM. Yeah. And um, we went down there. I was, uh, well, I say we, we were the Croydon Massive, you know, we were this community yes. of players. And uh, I originally come from Battersea, but I moved to Croydon um, during my early teenage years. Okay. And um in croydon we had quite a big community you know just like in batsy they had their own players and i remember every area or borough had their groups of players like you'd walk into a, an arcade and then you'd, you'd you know you'd see the scoreboard come up and it would have a certain name a certain set of initials all the way down the board so yeah. every area had it's like it's champion you know it's it's best player sort of thing totally. you know that that guy that can get the, the best high scores and whatnot so we in croydon weren't that aware that time that there were other areas with players that were just as good and we thought that we were like the best you know we just yeah. didn't have exposure you know we were You're quite in your young bubble. 
yeah, yeah, we were quite young to to travel like out, and we did, wouldn't know where to travel anyway, even if we wanted to. So when we were introduced to this tournament, uh, which was held in Trocadero, it was like a special event, it was like a day out to go to central London, you know, like a school trip. And um, we went there, and I remember walking into Trocadero, first time I'd ever been there. <laughs> and we walk in, and there's all these arcade cabinets. It's like, there's about 10 or 20 cabinets of Super Turbo being played. And we're like, wow, this is like more than anything I've ever imagined. And I walk up, to, and it was really dark in there. You couldn't see any of the actual screens. You could hear the game being played, but you couldn't see anything because right. there were so many people crowding around all the cabinets. Walked over to one of the cabinets, and the first thing I saw when I leaned over was DJ crossing someone up with medium kick, doing three crouching light jabs into standing medium punch and then the super, and he won the round. And I had never seen anything like that. Like, we weren't doing right. supers in combos and stuff like that. We were just doing supers as reeds, you know, like, they're going to fireball, you do DJ Super. You know, like, it wasn't in a combo, though. So when I saw that, I realized we might be, I'm like, guys, we, we might be in trouble here. <laughs> These guys know their stuff. And um, so the tournament began. Now, back then, the system was very different to now. Now it's usually, like, single elimination or double elimination. You'll have a bracket on challenge. You'll have it on Twitch. You'll be streamed and so on. Back in those days, obviously, there was no streaming material. There wasn't even YouTube or anything like that. Um, it wasn't a bracketed system. It was just a collection of arcade cabinets or consoles all in a row or all spread around a room and a long queue, a long queue of all the participants in the tournament that have registered. And what happens, it's a winner stays on format. And at the end of the time limit, because all the tournaments were timed, Whoever had the most wins will be the victor. So you queue up, you get a ticket when you sit down. If you win, you get the loser's ticket, and then you accumulate like that. If you lose, you go to the back of the queue. Then when you get to the front again, you get another ticket. So by the end of the whatever, five, ten hours, there's a winner. And that was how tournaments ran, you know. And we were people were quite comfortable that the person who won in that amount of time was the best player, you know. Um, so, yeah, no, that was, that was usually how it worked. Um, bracketing came in a lot, you know, quite a lot later, actually. Uh, mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, and I think, um, so yeah, 94 was my first tournament and that was for Super Turbo. Yeah. Then 95 was my uh, second and third tournament. And it was basically me entering uh, King of Fighters 95 tournament nice. and losing very badly in the right. same kind of scenario, like thinking you're quite good and then realizing you're not. Yeah. <laughs> and then um, later that year, I entered a Tekken 2 tournament and then I got fourth and I was very happy with that because yeah. I felt that that came top three were actually better than me. And then three days after that, I entered the King of Fighters 96 tournament and I won my first UK title. So yes. I was in 95, yeah, so I was 16 then. So yeah, and that's kind of like the history of my first tournaments. But yeah, my very, very first ever tournament was for Super Turbo. And um, it was, yeah, a really eye-opening experience. You, I really realized that, hang on, wow, these games are really, like it's, it's, we thought we knew it was deep, but it, we yeah. saw that it's even deeper than we'd ever imagined it to be. And that was quite a deterrent for some of our community. We lost yeah. about half our players that weekend because they realized, like, on the train home, we had a lot of heart-to-hearts going on. And some people were like, you know what, guys? I'm just in it for fun. I didn't know it's like that. I'm not really sure <laughs> to commit that amount of time to playing a video game. You know, yeah. it's too much for me. I'm out. And the other half of the crew were like, you know what, this is so inspirational. I didn't even know you could do crazy stuff like that. I want more. I want to learn more. I want to be more involved. I want to be better and stuff. So, yeah, guess which side of the fence I ended up on. But, yeah, you know, so um, that's, so, so that's, 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 how, that's how the cookie crumbled, man.
That's amazing. Um, yeah, I, I, like as I say, I was so I was in my twenties uh, in the in the mid nineties, and I was watching all these uh, Eastern Asian kids who were mm. uh, presumably in Brighton uh, students and stuff like that, um, yeah. and uh, and watching them playing these games at a level that I would never hope to attain, um, mm. and I was too shy to kind of join in in the scene and i think they were too good it was intimidating and i was that little bit yeah. older but i used to play with my you know on my own or with my girlfriend or with my friends and yeah. it was nowhere near to the standard but i was intoxicated as i always have been by video games by the the art and the presentation and the music and the sound and the the whole vibe of, of the scene as well as the creativity that goes into the game but then watching the the techniques i remember watching this guy playing yori yagami on probably king of fighters yeah 95 or 96 and just it again it, like you say it was just oh, oh right okay so that's possible then <laughs> like uh <laughs> insane combos and just keeping people pinned down to the you know in the corner and and not letting them remotely escape and it wasn't in a way it wasn't it's not conducive to being tempted to want to join in yourself, but it's uh, on another level. It's like, it's like, you know, it's like watching yeah any professional sport where you just got to accept yeah. that there are always going to be people better than you. And I suppose for you, because you knew you were decent, you didn't accept that. You kind of thought, right, well, you know, maybe there's room for me to get to get to this level. And obviously you want you want a KOF 96 title. Um, that must yeah. be pretty exciting. It was. I mean, um, after losing King of Fighters 95, because um, I, I wasn't bad at 95, but to lose so badly in the tournament just made me think maybe I just didn't try hard enough. You know, there was more, I felt there was more room for growth. Yeah. And I wanted to push that. And I think when 96 came out, I um, I just used almost all my free time to try to practice. You know, as soon as, soon as I was, as soon as college was over, I used to go straight to the arcade. And on weekends, I spent most of my time at the arcade. And that was usually how I put time into the game because there wasn't really, I didn't have the game at home. I didn't have a, a Neo Geo console. I had to go to the arcade to practice. Yeah. So, um, yeah, and, and I just, I think I wanted it more. I think when I started producing results was when I really wanted it. It wasn't just me playing casually anymore. It was me actually playing from the very beginning, setting out to be the best player. I think I really, obviously I had fun with it as well. I enjoyed the, yeah. you know, the, the, the growth. But I had a goal, and um, I think yeah. the close to the tournament, when they actually announced the tournament, um, I think, yeah, I think it started there. I think in the beginning, to be honest, when the game came out, I was just trying to learn the game. I wanted to understand how the game works, how they've changed the mechanics, what's different about the meta, and get good at it like that. But I wasn't thinking about, oh, I'm going to be the best. But I just knew I wanted to be in a good place for if they announced something. And when they actually announced the UK Championship, then I said, right, I'm going to start training now. So I had kind of set the foundation from day one. Um, but yeah, I do think it's a mindset. I do think that from the beginning, you know what you want and you go for that. I don't think you suddenly think oh, like halfway in, you think I'm doing this now, you know, depending on how much time you have, sometimes you might be able to do that, but it definitely helped me to know what I'm doing from the very beginning. So we're, we're kind of up to 97 then. And, uh, <laughs> a lot, we talked a lot on the street fighter three podcast about the initial rather frosty reception to street fighter three after the incredible yeah anticipation yeah. that i imagine you felt even more keenly than the rest of us as a as a huge turbo player and presumably you dabbled with the alpha games and oh i yeah i really liked turbo i really liked alpha i absolutely hated street fighter 3 like when it first came out. new generation oh. yeah oh Horrible. yeah everyone seemed to 
uh, was that um, was it? Uh, I remember being quite gutted by the reception, just seeing it sitting unloved at the arcades while everyone else was well, everyone was playing everything else. After you know all the bit, I guess you you probably read like I did, like CMG I mean, magazine, and it was so hyped. I mean, I'm I'm from South London, yeah. Yeah. In South London, people put balls on the table. If you're going for something, you're going for it. it's a commitment. You know, you're not scared. You know, you're you're doing your thing because this is what you believe in. And on Street Fighter Three, I didn't like like. You jump into someone because that's a commitment. You know, they might yeah. fireball, they might wait for you in anti-air. So you're jumping in because that's what you're predicting is going to work. And then you go for your attack and they just parry it. And you're like, <laughs> you know, and even worse than that is they jump into you, you do your dragon punch and they parry it. Like what? Jumping in is meant to be a commitment. It's meant to be a guess that if it's where if they where if you guess they're going to do it, and you don't do anything and you stay prepared for their jump, you get a reward for that. But now with this parry nonsense, I can't do that anymore. <laughs> and yeah, personally, I didn't really understand. I think it was too much of a transition system-wise for me to be able to embrace. Like I didn't understand what I'm yeah. supposed to like. What's the thinking process now? What what does that change? Like, how am I supposed to apply myself now? And right. I think if if that transition like if the mental transition doesn't happen within a certain period of time, people lose interest. Mm. And I think that's what happened. A lot of the people did try it. Like, I'm one of those people. I tried it. I didn't just think, oh, it looks different. I'm not playing it. Or I don't like the characters. Or who's Alex? No, I, I tried it. But when I couldn't apply myself, I thought, oh, okay, it's not for me then. Mm. And I think a lot of people, did when they tried it, felt the same way. Or maybe, but I think... For other people, there might have been, you know, some aesthetic reasons and so on. But like, I just think for me, you know, yeah. it was like, because I'm inside, I like to be involved in the, the thinking process of the gameplay, like the thinking process of what gets the win, what is the thought process behind getting a win at high level. And because I couldn't even wrap my head around just playing specifics on the game, just playing the system, then it wasn't really interesting to try and understand those like those core mechanics of, of high level gameplay. Yeah. It's a, it's a very radical, um, uh, change of the, of the fundamental dynamics of, uh, yeah. Street Fighter 2 uh, games, but, uh, the, the seats were also a bit sewn already in the, in the zero games, wasn't it? You could do em- empty, safe, empty jump-ins in, the in the zero games. Yeah. But I don't, air think the, I don't think the Street Fighter series in that sense follows a line of consistency. Like if you, if, I mean, if we had alpha and then Street Fighter 2 to alpha makes no sense at all. Because you know, even from a timeline perspective, like oh, you, now yeah. you're bringing old characters, yeah. Um, yeah. you know, all these new characters, and then you've got a system because you could, like, I think you could block in the air and stuff on, on Alpha. So even oh, yeah. that, like, it's like, yeah. what? you know, so th- yeah, that's what I meant. There, yeah. you know, there was Alpha counters, and that that was quite wild. But um, I think that was uh, a bit, you know, you could roll, you could like tech roll and stuff. I think that was easier to deal with because your choices on that game didn't cost you like, you know, you wouldn't, because one parry, even if they just parried like a jab, they could get like a half energy combo, mm. you know, depending on what character they had. So I think because your, the punishment was so harsh on third strike, uh, sorry, on, on three, five, three, so gen, new generation, mm. it put you off. Yeah. It, it, it just deterred you from thinking like, I'm going to try again. So, so on alpha though, I think that, it wasn't, I don't think people expected it to, like, because Alpha was its own thing, people were okay that it's different. 
But when Street Fighter right. 3 came out, they wanted it to be a deliberate continuation of what Street Fighter 2 Turbo had created. Yeah. Right. People didn't want it to be this brand new thing. Alpha was already meant to not be the same thing. That's why it's Alpha, in it? It's yeah. not meant to be. Yeah, it's meant to be like yeah. before the whole thing. It's not the continuation. So that Street Fighter 3 thing just put a lot of people off. Right. Definitely. And obviously, but obviously something uh, saw you, well, it, yeah, persist or stick with it or, or, or whatever. Was it was it the changes they made in Second Impact or was it was it purely Third Strike <laughs> that brought you back? Uh, um, but you've ended up being uh, rather decent at Third Strike. <laughs> when, when, um, when Third Strike came out, so yeah, I didn't play Street Fighter 3, I didn't play Second Impact. When Third Strike came out, yeah. I played it. Because people were playing it, and I yeah. still hated it. I'm like, no, nah, I don't like this game. <laughs> yeah, right. I used to use Ryu when it, when it was like when when everyone was playing it in London. Um, I used to try and use Ryu. This is like, I'm um, where are we now? This is probably like uh, 2004, maybe. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I thought, you know, let me just okay, like a lot of my best friends are playing this. Let me let me try and give it a go again. And I just didn't like it. You know, every now and again, I'd have like one or two games. You know, um, I'd go to a tournament, for example, where they're also having like a third strike. So I'd go for like a Tekken tournament or something or a King of Fighters tournament somewhere to some country. They'd also have like a like a third strike tournament. It'd be like one of the main events there. And I'd be like, what does everyone like about this game? I tried it and I just couldn't get my head around. It. I didn't like it. Yeah. Um, so I'd always just end up playing it like just a little bit, like a couple of games here and there. And um, yeah, I just I just remember like going to an arcade and losing really badly on third strike. And when I lost that badly, it made me think, okay, like maybe there's a level of depth to explore here. Like mm. I couldn't even touch this guy. You know, this guy had the knowledge to nullify everything that I tried. So maybe if I give it the right amount of attention, I can become something Like I can, I can get the knowledge that I need, you know? And, um, and I think I just, just started from the beginning right. straight back to having an empty canvas and i thought forget oh, everything okay. about every fighting game yeah and just take this in as a very new concept you know and um i, I changed everything I, I said okay which like which character if i want to win like which character um should i pick and i looked at looked at ryu at the time and i thought okay i'm not sure if that's for me he looked good i just thought maybe i could apply myself better with with a different character i didn't know anything about tears or anything but um i switched from ryu to ken just based on the small knowledge i had at the time yeah ken they both had overhead yeah ken's got back medium kick ryu's got forward medium punch Mm -hmm. after ryu's forward medium punch there's nothing but after ken's back medium kick if they're crouching you get a super so for me i'm like okay obviously ken's the better choice in that area um then then um i think in the supers Ken gets three supers, Ryu gets two supers. Like I'm like, okay, whatever there. Mm-hmm. Um, Ken's got EX, they both got EX Air Tatsu, but Ken's one gets a juggle if it hits, and Ryu's one doesn't really move forward and it doesn't really give you anything else. Mm-hmm. So in all the things that like their special moves do or their, their movesets do, it seems like Ken just had better things. Like, obviously, there's things Ryu has that ken doesn't but those things are less practical or are, are, are really situational like i felt ken could really uh, apply himself more so i started learning ken and obviously i didn't really beat anybody at first because obviously people know how to play the game and it does 
require a lot of skill to win, even if you pick a strong character. Yeah. And um, there's a lot of learning to do, and there's a lot of... It's one of those games where, because of the parry system, you need to learn how to defend before you can really attack. Because even if you're good at attacking, the, the parry mechanic means that one wrong attack puts you on the back foot, puts you on your back, yeah. and puts you on defense. And if you don't know what you're doing on defense, you can lose the whole round. So... I think, like Tekken, it's definitely a game where you have to learn how to defend first before you learn, you know, or maybe both in harmony for, for third strike. I think you need a good balance of both to, be, to start being efficient. And yeah, and for me, that's how it started. That, that was really how it started. It just, yeah, one of those things. So tell us about your, uh, your third strike achievements then, once you, seeing as you went back to basics and learned the game, you ended up doing all right <laughs> well, at it. <laughs> I think when I took it back to the drawing board, I um, set my goal out to be good at the game. It was no longer I'm just dabbling. It was I want to learn this game and be good. You know, I want to be a really good player. Um, and I think I was able to feel confident about having a good, uh, you know, success rate at that because I'd had success on other games. So I think having victories on other games helps you to believe in yourself for another endeavor you know you say okay maybe on this game i can apply that as well so um yeah i i think the first sort of like splash i made onto the third strike scene was at a tournament um that was actually held at someone's house um uh i don't know if you know golden gunman um old community manager for capcom europe he he was a, a very avid third strike uh player and um, you know he's very passionate about the game, and uh, he he put he held a tournament at his house, and all the top players went in the UK, and um, I managed to parry um, all of uh, Urian's Aegis Reflector in the corner, right. and that got the crowd erupting, you know. Okay. And uh, but it was so funny because if you watch the video, I think it's on YouTube somewhere. But if you watch the video, I'm so excited that i've successfully parried <laughs> yeah. after the parry i just jumped straight back into the reflector <laughs> so, like, i just managed to get myself out of trouble and i jumped straight back into it and get hit so that's quite funny but it's also an example of my progression because i've actually you know like i've managed to do this really good thing but i'm still learning do you know what i mean so i like to i like that when i watched it back it was just so funny it's good but it's nice to see mistakes like that from pro players yeah. for us, us uh, mortals because it shows that you're human well yeah i mean there you know it doesn't just go you know from being not that good to just being a professional it does go through a number of stages a number you need a repeat number of failures to learn you know you need yeah, to like keep anything yeah. You need to keep learning. You need to keep losing. <laughs> Sounds yeah. weird, but you need to keep losing, not necessarily matches, but you need to keep losing certain ele- in certain areas to always see that you need, you know, there's room for growth. Totally. The worst thing you can feel is that you can't grow anymore, whether that's because you're not good or whether that's because you're good. That right. feeling is not better or worse in either situation. You, you, you want to always feel like there's more to learn. You know, you want to always feel like there's more value in putting time in. And um, I think that, yeah, so after this uh, successful Aegis Reflector parry thing, I, I managed to win that whole tournament. I think that was my first big tournament win for Third Strike. And uh, that was in 2005. So that was my the beginning for me. And uh, yeah, so some of my achievements, um, I, I'm the only uh, European player to ever make top eight at EVO on, on Street Fighter 3. Awesome. Um, I, I beat Daigo in the set. I beat Justin Wong uh, on stage. I beat um, a lot of Japanese people. I think I'm 
at that time anyway, I was the only European to ever win a tournament with top Japanese players in it. And that was the uh, Road to Evo at Cannes. Some, uh, they had flown some Japanese players in and I, and I managed to win the whole tournament. I was very happy about that because they are, they are hands down the best uh, yeah. nationality at this game, you know. So to, to go into a tournament and come out victorious against, against top players from that country really meant a lot to me at the time. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so uh, I've been I've won the most uh, tournaments, the third strike in the most countries. I, um, I, yeah, I think there's a statistic like that. Like um, I've traveled to more countries and won third strike tournaments than anyone else in Europe. Um, so, yeah, I, I'm really happy that I've been able to uh, get to a place where I've you know been able to win tournaments and been able to to um, be successful in that in that regard. Um, Amazing. But yeah, of course, you know, even but even with a degree of success, you always have to be quite humble and be quite aware that, you know, there's always more. And I, I always think that even though I'm happy about, you know, the success that I've had, I know that um, there's always a, a time limit for things that you do, you know, so you always have to appreciate what you're doing when you're doing it. You know, you can't just think, yeah, I've had this and I'm, I'm always going to be there. Like, no, I know that like, you know, one one day I won't play Thirst Strike anymore. So I'm just really grateful for the things that the experiences that playing Test Strike has given me. So I, I think that uh, one thing that I felt in my years of training uh, the, in those three years was it was really hard to compete against the Japanese. Like when you were when you when I was in Tokyo, the time I spent there. Um, I mean, I've had, you know, I've had some great matches. I've, I've managed to beat R- RX. I've beaten Nuki. I've beaten... Um, you know, you know, like lots of top players. Um, mm-hmm. But even with those wins, I see that it's virtually impossible to like go to Japan and win like a really big Japanese tournament or win like, you know, Super Battle Opera or something. It's just, they're just so much better. And there's so many amazing third strike players there that yeah. you just can't, you know, you beat one or two, but eventually one will get you. And it's just, <laughs> yeah. you know, that's just, yeah, that's just how yeah. it is. They, they, and I, and you know, my hat goes off to them. They, they put the time in, they put the work in and that's why yeah. they're that good. A very, um, very good, uh, very good friend of mine. Uh, you might, you might know him. He's a German uh, FGC guy. Uh, Alter is his name. Johannes Nischel. Um, and he he met you a couple of times in uh, Japan actually when he was there. Okay. And he said like the big difference between the scenes there and here is that your average player in any arcade just is incredibly skillful and can just yeah. take you to town. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, they're amazing. And uh, of course, they have the community around them to facilitate that level of skill. Um, but it's quite hard when you've come from another country and you're just as, you know, your competitive drive is no smaller than theirs, but you just don't have the material that they have. You know, I remember playing in Japan and having the feeling like I'm having to give out all my best skills, all my best strategies to just be ev- normal people, you know? Yeah. And, um, you know, the kind of stuff you'd be planning to do in a grand finals in Europe, you're having to do it in the first round in a Japanese tournament. And um, it's uh, it's quite difficult to keep that level of gameplay going and eventually you know you get caught out by stuff so what happens is you know you start playing there and you start learning but then what happens then is you come back to europe and a lot of the stuff you've learned that works on players there doesn't apply here because of the difference in you know thought process because of the difference in mentality because of the difference in the way people just do things you know and um so I actually learned that some strategies are actually quite location specific, which is interesting because that opens up a whole new world of, you know, of, of, of topics. So yeah. Um, I don't know. Nation specific meta games. Yeah. <laughs> it's a new one. 
No, yeah. absolutely. There's definitely true. You know, you uh, talk if you think about football. There's definitely sort of cultural differences in the way sport is played in different parts of the world, and it makes it makes sense. And also, like. Uh, certainly when I was last there 10 years ago um, it was still very easy to walk into any game centre in Tokyo or Akihabara and find a third strike cab whereas for yeah. he- here for the last in speaking as a, as a UK person the arcades are pretty much gone and you can play third strike I, you know I used to play it on the uh, the original Xbox version I used to play it online and it was an endless chain of Kens and uh, sure. obviously there's the Iron Galaxy version which we talked about quite a bit on the podcast which which is a great a, a great version but the online is almost dead now so unless you've got yeah. unless you're prepared to travel or play you know you've got somebody a training a sparring partner or whatever you can't really practice in the same way yeah that's so true that's so true so yeah it's, it's difficult because a lot of players especially in countries i've been, visited just haven't been able to express themselves you know they, they, you can see that they have a lot of talent they have a lot of potential but that potential doesn't get an outlet because of where they are Mm. and uh, it's quite it's quite a common problem i think so uh, was there a recent third strike tournament co-op cup there was indeed there was indeed and um yeah i just uh, watched the finals before this podcast so i could have it fresh in my mind and Fantastic. what an amazing uh, what an amazing cup it was i mean um the end coming down to you know chan and ken yep. was great for me because that's the classic yeah. underdog battle that ken always has to try and win um i think yun versus chan would have been a lot less interesting and for that reason uh, sorry and also i think yun ken would have been less interesting as well because genajin just nullifies so many areas of you know offensive and defensive options that in some cases you're not actually getting to see the level of intelligence that either player has Mm-hmm. And I think Ken Chun um, has a lot more room for expression in that in that regard. So yeah, the fact that it came down to that is is awesome. Um, and everybody thinks about uh, Ken versus Chun because of uh, Evo Moment Thirty Seven, of course. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that was an amazing uh, feat that Daigo pulled off. Yeah. Um, but it was an amazing. I think it was an amazing standard three S player moment. It wasn't an amazing high level moment for like top players because right. being able to parry Chonli super was something that any high level player can do. That's not a Daigo specific thing. It's just, he managed to get that opportunity on a big stage at Evo against a notable Chun-Li, you know, so he had all the, you know, he had everything stacked yeah. for that classic moment, that legendary moment to, to, to happen, you know? Um, and, and the thing is, at that time, I was, you know, that was 2004. I wasn't, I wasn't even really into Third Strike then. I was just getting off the ground. And I was um, playing Tekken in the other room. I, I heard this All right. noise. I just heard this eruption of people, like, shouting. I'm like, what's going on? And I just carried on, turned around, you know, carried on playing Tekken. Um, and that was the year I actually won Evo for Tekken, so I was quite happy. <laughs> but, um, nice. <laughs> but but that was yeah. But that year, that was the year that Daigo did this amazing parry, and I was like, yeah. wow. And then I think that you know uh, after that, I I started practicing how to parry Chun Li Super. Like how how do right. you do this? You know. Yeah. And um, it's, it's kind of a little funny story here, but basically, <laughs> so the next year, two thousand five, mm. after the year after the parry, yeah, I mm. actually got pretty decent at parrying Chun Li Super. I could do it. You know, if I knew you were going to try and chip me. I could, you know, tap forward and then, you know, get mm-hmm. all the rest and then do the punish. You know, I was 
quite proud of myself. Yeah. But I wasn't. That, I still wasn't that good yet at the game. But I could do certain intricacies. You know, I could do some hard stuff. Yeah. Mm. So, so what happened is next year, the next year, I'm at Evo again. Yeah. And um, Alex Faye was about, and he was sort of just loitering in one of the corridors. And I said, oh, you know, do you want to play some casuals? And he's like, yeah, um, we'll get some guys together and we'll go to my room. You know, he had a, he had a set up in his room. So, oh, cool, awesome. So he got Justin Wong and he got a couple of other guys to come to his room and play. And in the rotation, he only had one sub, so we're all watching each other's matches. And in the rotation, when it got to me versus Justin, he always beat me so badly. <laughs> oh, Justin was the nightmare to play. I didn't. So what happens is Chun. I'm like, what am I supposed to do? And then, you know, obviously in the rotation, you're thinking about, okay, when my turn comes up next, I'm going to have this ready now. I'm going to do that. When he does this, I'm not going to press that anymore. You know, you start going through all your mistakes. And um, my turn came up again. And I actually had a pretty good go. I think I, I got the first game this time. You know, we're playing best of three. So I think I got the first game this time. And then he roasted me the second game. And I think in the last game, we got into this weird situation where I've got low health. And he tried to chip me with the, with the super, yeah? And I started parrying it, and I messed it up and died. And it looked horrible. <laughs> it looked like I'm this scrub just trying to, like, I don't know what I'm doing, you know? I'm just trying to yeah. parry. And it was, so, and it was a little bit annoying for me because I can do it all the time in practice. I had done it so many times in a row in practice. Yeah. Yeah. But this moment with people watching me under pressure with, you know, Justin Wong at the wheel using Chan and me trying to, I just messed it up. And I was so gutted. I'd waited for an opportunity for that the whole <laughs> afternoon, you know. <laughs> and guess what? Justin, he didn't know me at the time, got infuriated with me. He said, who do you think you are trying to parry that? He got really angry with me that I had the audacity to even attempt to try and parry his super yeah. in a match. And you could see the effects of what the Daigo match had done to him just from his reaction. He was super livid with me. Obviously, he had no idea that I'm a fully established champion at my respective games, which were at the time KOF, Virtual Fighter, Tekken, already had already won a couple of world, chi uh, world championships and everything. So, But he had no idea because I was new into the Street Fighter realm. I don't play Marvel. So he didn't know. He wasn't aware. I wasn't on his radar, basically. No, right. So that was 2005, yeah? Now, if you speak to Justin today, he probably has no recollection of this event at all. But if you speak to other people, like Alex Vai could probably tell you yeah, I was in the room, I saw it. You know, he was super angry. So it was quite a spectacle for anyone watching. Yeah. Then fast forward to 2008 now, mm -hmm. and we were at the Back Destiny um, area. Um, Justin Wong was in town. You know, he'd been flown in. They had sponsored him to fly in to be part of our event. And um, we went to the arcade the day before. Now, in the arcade, we played some matches, and we, I think I won a couple more, but I, I never got into a pair. I don't know. We just never got into that situation where he might try and chip me for the thing, for the, for the kill. So there was never a scenario where he could establish, oh, okay, he knows how to parry, so I'm not going to use it, you know? And um, <laughs> we got into this match in the next day in the, you know, in the tournament on the big stage, and we played. Um, I think it was an exhibition. Yeah, it was a best of three exhibition just to, because I think I wasn't in the actual tournament. I think Justin won the tournament, but I didn't enter the tournament. I was just there. Yeah. So they were like, okay, let's set up this exhibition so we can see who wins. And um, I picked uh, Yun. I was using Yun as a counter pick for Chun by that time because I'd realized that I think something like 89% of all my tournament losses were to Chun Li. And I really didn't like that figure. So I thought, okay, I need an answer for this. And I started learning Chun, uh, so Yun, just to be just to try and even up the, the score against Chun. 
So, um, <laughs> so here we are in this best of three. And of course, I remember this three years ago event where he had completely dissed me in front of all these people for, for trying to parry his super. And then, um, yeah, in this thing, uh, in the second game, he, he chipped me with the super. And I tried to parry it, but I, I didn't mess it up. But like, because I was already blocking it, I tried to enter in, in with a red parry. And I got the first one. Then I missed the timing to link the rest on. So I lost. So in the final game, I think the first run of the final game, he got me down to no health and he tried to do crouching medium kick super and I parried the whole thing and won the round. Mm. And it felt, it was quite a, a nice gratifying feeling to kind of have a little bit of revenge after being yeah. dissed that time three years ago. Um, but yeah, so then I won that set and that was pretty cool. I managed to do some cool Cara Palmas for the audience. And I think one of the differences between why I game now and why I gamed before was now I do put a lot of effort into pleasing the crowd. Mm -hmm. I like to do cool things that make the crowd appreciate what they saw, you know. Um, there's a lot of that you see in my gameplay, like at Capcom Cup um, 2014. Um, just just at most events, I'm usually the hype person. I'll do something interesting or I'll, I'll, I don't know, I'll be a notable player that people didn't expect could lose to something I'm doing or whatever. Yeah. And um, I just, yeah, I, 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 I don't know. Um, I do enjoy making people happy. I do enjoy giving people something to talk about on the way home. Like, did you see that thing that happened? You know, I do, I do, I do like that. It's not. It's definitely not just about oh, I need to win this thing sure. anymore. Yeah, you got to be a showman players. It's really important for yeah. any any sport. Even yeah, I think otherwise. a lot. Of players, a lot of the players around these days they forget that I'm quite a significant amount older in comparison to them. Right. And um, when I was their age, I was like winning tournaments in Japan and winning Evo and things like that. But now it's a bit less, there's a bit less of that for me because that's not a prior, that's not a, like an immediate priority anymore. You know, more about, well, what's in the back, what's in the game itself, you know, what's in the match itself, you know, yeah, I don't I, think people really remember where Daigo placed in Evo 2004. They just remember the, the Justin Wong matchup. They just remember exactly. that, you yeah. know, that, that 20 seconds. Yeah. Of that last round, that's all they remember. And I think it's about creating those moments, which is, why I miss Third Strike so much, because it's much harder to create those memorable moments in the games these days. That's exactly what I wanted to uh, ask you about, actually, because, you know, a lot of a lot has been said about uh, Evo Mo uh, Moment 37, a lot, a lot has been written about it. Uh, Seth yeah. Killian did a very cool or interesting article at one point uh, explaining this, the psychology behind it. Yeah. Um, but I was just recently thinking, like, what other game, what other fighting game could even facilitate such a moment? Uh, you know, even even on that level, it's it's the most watched uh, esports uh, esports feat and uh, and everything. Honestly, once you know like the specifics of how the game works, um, Virtual Fighter can easily produce a scene just with just as much quality, just as much respect mm -hmm. for the psychology behind it, and just as much skill in the inputs. Yeah, yeah. Virtual yeah. Fighter, I take that. Tekken can. Tekken's a very technical game. You need specific knowledge to do things in certain situations and stuff like that. But I would probably limit it to those those two games. I don't. I think King of Fighters, although it's amazing, I think King of Fighters can be very linear in its offense, and it's mm -hmm. hard. To, I think it's quite and and the offense is so strong. It's quite hard to show. A significant feat in a defense like it's, it's quite hard to show a significant defensive feat where someone used a tool to get victory um i just might have forgotten a few things but yeah there's there's guard castle, guard castle blowbacks um, 
but but KOF is very technical and does have a lot of deep, you know, like um, deep mechanics. But I'm not sure if coming back specifically is is one I would give KOF. You know, like right. I I don't I don't feel like KOF is the comeback game. You know. Mm-hmm. Anyway, um, yeah, uh, the newer Street Fighters, for example, um, sure there are amazing comebacks. You know, we we've seen amazing comebacks on every Street Fighter game. But it's definitely not of the quality of a third strike comeback. It's just not yeah. of the same quality. So you know, and because so- like I watched, I watched this uh, co-op cup grand finals, yeah. And Deshiken was the last Ken, and there were four chuns, yeah. So you're already on Deshiken's side because he's basically like fighting a losing battle because the match is really uphill, and he's like the last guy on a team where the morale has been semi broken, and this other chun team that's like partially already celebrating and you know they, they've got everything to play they've got everything to be happy about um to see a comeback of that magnitude on a game like that definitely was the best piece of street fire that i've seen in the last few years you know that that little segment of him beating four tons in a row yeah I, I just can't think of anything i've watched you know in in the past i just can't think of anything i've watched on street fighter four or five that gets anywhere close to, and I don't just mean that it was one guy that beat four guys. No, of course we've seen that. I'm yeah. talking about quality inside the content. Right. Yeah. What yeah. what he did to beat the four. What were the risks there? What were, you know, what was he up against there? What could have gone wrong? Like, you know, and 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 I just think when you understand how three S works, um, I think it's easier to respect that. Yeah. The, the, you know how strong his mind must have been to to be able to do that. And the beauty of the parry system is you can parry, yes, and you can get big punishes from parries, yes, but you are forced. The good thing about parrying is you are forced to open yourself up. If you go for a low parry, you are not, you can't block. Mm. You can't hold back while you're tapping down or forward. So the concept is amazing because with every time that you're predicting an opponent's read, you're leaving yourself open. That's great because mm. that means that even though they got you this time, there's a chance there. You always leave the door open for there being opportunity, and that is good. That's a good thing. It shouldn't be that he had this safe thing where even if you guessed right, there was nothing for you. I like yeah. the concept that, okay, he outsmarted me this time, but I've seen that now. So what next? What next? And you always encourage evolution in strategy. But now it's not about that. It's about finding out what's safe to do all the time. But that's not good. That's not good for increasing your ability in how you can understand an opponent's mind. That's not good for how you develop yourself as a player that can transition his skills to every fighting game or other games. So I don't like the the change that we've seen from Street Fighter 3 to 4 because 4 is the set play Street Fighter of them all. That's got the most set play gameplay that I've seen in any Street Fighter. Obviously, every Street Fighter has got set play. Street Fighter Mm -hmm. 4 has got the most. Hmm. And I think because Street Fighter 4 has got so much set play and it's so strong, you kind of don't need this evolution anymore because you just need this now. You just need this one flowchart and then you're good, you know? Hmm. So I, I just like, pers- this is just a personal thing. Obviously, other people might think differently, but I just personally enjoyed the idea of doing something to someone where you were vulnerable as well. You did, mm-hmm. there, was, there was a way that might not have worked out. Yeah. Um, the, when you're allowed to explore that and get the victory the next time, it is so much more gratifying than just doing a standard sequence of moves that was either going to work or not, but wouldn't have yeah. put you at risk. 
Yeah, you could say that the uh, the berry and the red berries are inc- incredibly uh, disruptive to flowcharts and set play. It's uh, it's the the monkey wrench you can you can throw in the wheel, you know. Yeah, but that makes it sound like it's a negative thing. I mean, should it be that you have one sequence that no one can stop? Should it should mm-hmm. gaming? No, no, that's what, actually what I mean as a positive. Yeah, yeah. So what? So, but that's the thing. Like, I, I can't sometimes feel like people are always looking for this certain one sequence that no one can stop. But mm-hmm. should that exist? Should there be one one flowchart that is so good that no one can? Like, you know, you're you're playing a game, and once your opponent starts this thing, you can't do anything. Like, is th- does that make you have fun? Like, is that enjoyable? Is that worth spending? however many euros on dlc content for you know like i don't think that people should think about it in that way but you know because from any perspective as a professional player as an average player or as a new player that's not a good thing none of those demographics will benefit from having this one formula for a new player they're never going to be an expert because they're going to always be better at the formula for an expert that's not going to be stimulating enough because it's too linear it's too boring and for an average player it doesn't really make that much sense because you can't grow from it when i think of long unbreakable strings i'm immediately thinking of uh me spamming yoshimitsu's 10 hit in uh in tekken 2 and 3 and uh annoying my friends to the point they didn't want to play me anymore and <laughs> um and killer instinct as well uh, obviously you've got combo breakers in there but some of the length of lengths of combo in in that game uh, are simply off-putting to those who don't know what they're uh, how to get out of it kind of thing yeah yeah i mean there's a degree of like you know you just getting hit because you don't know the answer but that's not what i mean here you know obviously there are times where you just don't know the answer so you need to work on your knowledge in that area you have to go to the training mode or you have to get Mm. you have to you know understand how to break that down in the match or whatever but that's not where I'm focusing on. I'm focusing on one option having the advantage against too many other counter options. You know, right. there might be 10 things that each each person can do. Yeah, you can do 10 things, your opponent can do 10 things. But one of his 10 things beats six of your things. So you don't actually have 10 options. Do you see what I'm saying? Yeah. Like there's too much of this kind of covering multiple bases with one tool mm. that is too effective. And um, this doesn't encourage, like, mental growth. It doesn't encourage creativity. Yeah, it doesn't encourage you to think, like, I need to find something else here. Mm-hmm. I remember being so frustrated playing King of Fighters 98 against, this, uh, against the Hong Kong champion because he just knew my every move. And it was really annoying because I couldn't do anything. And I remember asking him, like, what do you think I need to change? And he just said, his English wasn't that good, so, you know... <laughs> But, you know, maybe maybe it's not exactly what he would have said in Chinese, but all he said at the time was do something different. And <laughs> as, as, simple as, as simple as that sounded, yeah. it made enough sense to me to know that he means just do something I wouldn't normally think was a good idea. Yeah. So I did. I started doing like just pressing a, a different button randomly where, where I would have pressed a certain button that I know the properties of. I just tried doing a different button. And sometimes right. it worked. Oh, mm-hmm. right. That, that then. OK, so in this situation, I've got this now. And slowly but surely, he added tools to my repertoire because I learned the benefits of them all by just trying different things. out, not brainlessly spamming, but in a set specific situation where I know that if he, you know, pressures me with this tool, I might be able to try this. But instead of doing that, because I know that I've been losing by trying that all the time, I just pressed a different button or did a difference. And sometimes you lose badly because it doesn't work at all. But other times you learn a new tool 
for a situation that you would never have tried using before. And the, 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 the satisfaction there of that growth, of that achievement was, was much better than any victory I've ever got doing some brain dead string that everyone knows how to do. Yeah. Yeah. On that, on, on that uh, topic, uh, we've just got a few uh, quick questions from the community. Um, Alex 79 UK asks, do all the pro players kind of know each other and study each other's play styles, thereby allowing you to go into fights already expecting what's going to happen, allowing you to formulate your plan of attack before you even start when you're playing in a pro tournament? Do you find yourself planning the fight before you start or is it more a case of simply reacting to what's happening on the screen at the time? OK, I'll answer the first question first. So I think every pro, I think every pro player or uh, you know like knowledgeable player thinks differently. I don't think there's a I don't think there's a uniform way that people train in that sense. I don't think they all study each other and stuff like that. Yeah. There are strong players that literally just go to the tournament and do their own thing, and then there are other players who like to be more informed and they'll study matches before they go, which is probably the majority pick. I think most people do actually start studying before the match now if they know who they're up against because people like to have brackets out early now. They'll go into CFN, they'll go on YouTube, they'll go onto any platform with with footage and watch what their opponent likes to use. And uh, they'll learn counters for it. You know, they're going to training mode, they'll record that sequence and they'll find out how to get around it. Mm -hmm. So yeah, that definitely happens. And there's definitely a degree of um, playing on the fly as well because you're unaware of your opponent. You know, you get into a bracket and yeah, fair enough, you might be able to prepare for your first, second maybe even the third opponent, but then after that, you're not sure who you're going to face. Or if you get knocked into loser's bracket early and suddenly you're up against a guy you didn't think you were going to fight, there's that just playing off your knowledge. You know, there's not this preparation anymore. It's just you're playing based on how you know the game and how you know the opponent's character and so on. So, there's a, yeah, there's a bit of both. There's that pre-match preparation, but there's definitely also just playing with what you know at the time and using your instincts and, and skill. Mikhail, you got anything more? We've got a couple more questions from uh, from the forum, and before we let Ryan get back to his weekend, no, I don't think so because Ryan uh, is, uh, has already answered a lot of our questions Absolutely. while uh, while speaking. <laughs> All right, yeah, so, I tend to do that. Sorry, guys. No, that's fantastic. <laughs> no, that's fantastic. You've yeah. been incredible value for no money. That's uh, amazing <laughs> stuff. Um, yeah, so just a couple of uh, fun ones to finish with. These are from uh, Dom's Beard, regular contributor at the Cana Rinse Forum, who says. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm, I'm going to expand out on his question. His question is, if you had to play as one character for the rest of your career, who would it be? And I'm going to ask across all of the fighting games that you've played. Let's, uh, if there was one character that you could play as in one game uh, and, and only that for the rest of time, what would give you the most pleasure? One character in one game. Um, I think that would probably be... Um... I mean, top of my head, I'm thinking Kazuya in Tekken 5 Dark Resurrection because he okay. was super fun, yeah. super, super fun in that game. Um, and then 2D-wise, I... Uh, or maybe Akira on BF Evolution. Yeah. It's quite a hard question, actually. He was really... A lot of uh, fluidity in his gameplay. I really enjoyed the pace that you could set with him. Um, and then on a 2D game, I think that... Um, I really enjoyed Clark on King of Fighters 96. It was so oh, good. Right. Yeah, and I enjoyed... Um, uh, yeah, I guess Third Strike Ken is not a bad pick either. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, so what, <coughs> hang on. So there's Ralph and Clark, and they're the Ikari Warriors, aren't they? Um, they what's, yeah. what's the difference between the two in terms of playing? Uh, well, I mean, they developed them. 
<clears throat> as the uh, iterations have gone on, they've, they've changed yeah. and dabbled with how each character works. Plot became more close combat heavy, you know, grab, grabbing, getting close and pressuring with, with command throws. Yeah. Um, Ralph definitely became more footsie based than Clark and became more damage heavy as well. He was a, a heavy, he became a heavy hitter at some point and uh, kind of remained that way. Oh, I see. Cool. Um, and finally, uh, so also from Dom's Beard, uh, he asks, what are the most common misconceptions you get from people? So I assume that's around being a pro Street Fighter player. Do you get, do people say things that are just annoyingly ignorant uh, or, or just something that's... People, people not, <clears throat> I think people are not able to embrace that gaming is something that can be done professionally. Yes. Yeah. You see, they don't, they don't, they can't put those two things in the same ballpark. You know, they can't, it's they can't, a while. yeah, they, they don't, they don't understand what that looks like. How, how do, what is it to be professional at a game? You know, what is the difference with a kid sitting in his bedroom and you who is supposed to be professional? Like what's it? So I just, I think they don't get that there are different games. First mm-hmm. of all, that mm-hmm. a game is not just a, like, it's not that there's just gaming and that's it. You know, there are some games which yes, are just about having fun and pressing buttons, but there are other games which have layers of depth. You know, they have layers of depth where you can practice and have that practice become something bigger. Um, and yeah, I don't know. Um, and a lot of the time, because there's not that much physical, like visually, there's not that much physical activity going on. I think people yeah. don't like to regard it as a sport or something because you know. Yeah, but they'll watch bowls or darts, you know. Uh, yeah, yeah. But then there are people that don't regard those as sports either, you know. So it's not just true. gaming. But yeah, when it comes to misconceptions, it's like that. That's. If you say you're a professional gamer, they think yeah. that you don't have a life. They think that that's all you do. And yeah. I think that's one difference to saying you're an athlete. I think if you say you're an athlete, people don't think you don't have, you know, a wife and kids or you don't have a, another like another set yeah. of hobbies. or Yeah, so I think that line there is also a bit blurred. People think that once you say you're a pro gamer, that means you have no, like, nothing else at all. Yeah. So that's a bit... bit, do, you, a bit do, you um, think, do you think the, the number of uh, esports and cyber athletes helps or hurts in that case? I mean, um, I don't think that changes anything. To be honest, mm. it's it's just if if you have a misconception, if you if you if you believe something, if you believe that all pro gamers are nerds, whether there are large or small numbers, that doesn't change your belief. That's just you think there are either less nerds or more nerds. Right, so, matter of time, I think, isn't it? It's uh, the, as culture and society change. I mean, it, it might be. It might it. just even be a thing of not needing acceptance. It might just be a question of making your making it our own thing. You know, maybe we're looking to the wrong, like, maybe we're trying to get this done the wrong way. I don't know. But I think I it is changing slowly. I, I, I do think that, like, gaming, like, competitive gaming, or at least what I'm doing, like, playing, you know, like, games games in tournaments and traveling and stuff like that and getting sponsorship, like, what those players are doing with that now, I don't think it needs to be regarded as sport. It doesn't need to have that label. I mean... Look at what you're doing when you're using a joystick, for example. You're putting in, you're using your two hands to input a certain number of coordinates, a certain, you know, order of coordinates, a certain pattern of coordinates. It's like playing a musical instrument, but you wouldn't say gaming was music, would you? But it is very, it is just as similar to playing a musical instrument. You need rhythm, you need timing, you need coordination. Mm. It's just as similar to a musical, in, to music, 
you know, to playing a musical instrument as it is to being a sport. Absolutely. So, yeah, so, but you never say, oh, it's music, I'm, I'm doing my music thing. You never say that, do you? <laughs> so, yeah. Just because it's competitive, we don't have to say, yeah, it's a sport now. You don't have to. But yeah. I find people feel forced to say it's a sport because there's no other word they can find to, to give it, it. gratifying yeah. enough for the layman. Yeah. But I don't like the idea that we're trying to not suck up, but we're, we're trying to be good enough for other people. This is our thing. They don't yeah. need to understand. So, you know, like, I know that, you know, in, in, from a business perspective, we have to try and look at ways to make it bigger and try and get, like, non-endemics involved and try and make it attractive to them, give it something that they can relate to. Like, I know that. But I also think that there's potential for this thing to be its very own thing and have that become something. Because once you make it its own thing, then you can create whatever rules you want. Once you say, yeah, it's a sport, now you've got to abide by every all the rules everyone's already set out. You have no room for your own personal growth. Like, yeah. now, now all the commentators have suits, have, have ties and shirts, you know? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. they're trying to be like, like NFL, and they're trying to be like other sp- They're trying to do something that's already done. Yeah. But, like, I think that having it be its own thing gives more room for originality and you know there's money in it already so it's not like there's no money in it Mm. so it couldn't actually just do its own thing you know but i I don't know personally you know i I don't have all the specifics but just in my perfect world i'd like it to garner its own respect and not just be like a a byproduct of something that's already already under scrutiny (laughs) so (laughs) yeah yeah I, i think i think that um it could because I think it's the perfect combination between music and sport. Yeah, and, and if not its own thing, why can't we uh, compare it more to professional chess play, for example? Yeah, but then, like, is chess a sport? You're not moving. Yeah. It's moving no, so, no, you know, like, how would you define chess? What, what is chess? It's, is a it, what, it's, it's, a, it's a competitive activity. You know, professional chess is a competitive activity. Yeah. But it's then, a, does that make it's it a competitive sport? game? It's not at the Olympics. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I find it's quite hard to use the word gaming. Once you say that word, yeah. people switch off. Yeah. Oh, you're, people switch off like, oh, you're one of those. Like, they just yeah, start yeah, yeah. yeah, you just get pigeonholed. So it's quite difficult. And th- this is what I can see why people have started saying, got used to saying sport and sports and esports and, um, mm. you know, and, 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 and uh, pro athlete and stuff like that. Like I can see where these terms have become important yeah. for, for the acceptance of, of what we're doing. Um, but I'm just saying, I'm not saying that's a bad decision. Obviously, you know, like obviously there needs to be some formula, yeah, for, for people to to have like um, that, that, I don't know, that relevance, for people to find it relevant, people to get some kind of understanding as to what it is. Mm. Um, but yeah, I just think that it also takes away a little bit as well from the quality of its originality. So, yeah. That's interesting. That is interesting. Yeah, just a a little bit, just a little bit. Um, (laughs) Because then you then have it become more difficult to define other things then, you know, if you just say, yes, sport, and that's it. You know, like, it's e-sports. It's just just digital sports. But it's more for me. I think it's more than It's just hard to get that accepted when you try and say it's more than it just being a digital sport. So yeah. one step at a obviously, time. Obviously, there aren't the physical elements. You know, you're not running and jumping over hurdles or anything. You're not pole vaulting. Yeah, but then you know, with that said, you're definitely experiencing a lot more mentally. You're definitely being more mentally challenged than someone doing a pole vault, for example. Mm. Mm. You know, the amount of different 
crucial decisions you're having to make is you know like you're you're definitely i i think i think the self challenge uh, is a lot higher yeah. in 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 that regard so um, with any anything yeah like there's other things like you know pole vaulting for example maybe i'm not using a good example but anyway let's go with it now um is it, is more about what you've done before like your 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 preparation before um but then not actually but i'm probably just going around in circles now because so is fighting games and then so is you, you you can screw things up that you know how to do well just because of the pressure of what you're going through. So I guess in that regard, it is the same as Paul Warren. <laughs> it's a bit like it's a bit like tennis as well um, at high level. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Like you can you can have all the training in the world, and then in that moment, it could just all fall apart. And uh, yeah, sport is the same. So yeah, I don't know, quite hard. But yeah, I definitely see some interesting differences in traditional sports and you know competitive gaming, and it's it's really interesting. Yeah, I guess it's still relatively early days, even though it was uh, 23 years ago that you were at your first tournament. I know, so, I know. Yeah. It's insane. It's yeah. insane. So, well, listen, yeah. Ryan, you've been the most awesome guest. Thank you for <laughs> spending uh, some of your Sunday with us. Have you got anything that you want to tell our listeners about? Anything you want to point them towards or promote? Um, this juncture? I mean, yeah, I guess if there are any fighting game fans uh, listening to this um then it's a cool time now there's lots of interesting movement there's a uh, tekken 7 coming out there's uh, king of fighters 14 that's been out for a little bit now injustice 2 and then of course there'll be revisions of street fighter so yeah if, if fighting games are your thing then i would say pick one that you really enjoy oh i didn't say i forgot to say marvel that's coming out too yeah. but yeah if fighting games are your thing then be honest with yourself and pick the one that you genuinely enjoy and don't just pick the one that's the most popular or that has a tournament or whatever. Um, if you do want to pick the one that has a tournament or whatever, then decide how you want to approach the game from day one. Don't just think I'm going to, you know, like, I'm, I'm, I'm just going to play with for fun. Like, if, if you're entering if you're entering a community because of its tournament activity, then design your gameplay around getting prepared for tournaments and, you know, maybe try and take it a bit more seriously like I did in the beginning of my third strike career and i think that if you do that then the results will be better mm-hmm. uh, either way um, yeah i think one of the things is just try to have fun like I, I wouldn't even have dreamed to win anything before i enjoyed myself like the first thing that i got out of gaming was fun and before any victories before any competitive gaming all that sponsorship the first priority is yeah. do you enjoy yourself is this game fun you know, because there's a big difference between a game being fun and winning being fun. A lot of people think that, well, it's fun because I win. That means winning is fun. That doesn't necessarily mean the game is fun. And I think we should look at that as well. Third Strike was a fun game. Win or lose, you, ha- you, you know, you had fun. Yeah. Now, obviously, losing on anything too much isn't fun. But that's not what I'm talking about. There should be elements in the way you lost that you find interesting and that you want to explore. You know, that, that's like it's stimulating for you. It's like it's interesting the way he was able to get around something. It shouldn't be a too simple way that you lose, you know. And um, when you start being able to explore ways in how you lost to get victory the next time, I think that it gets more enjoyable. And um, yeah, so just looking at games and being honest with yourself, when I lose on this game, is it fun? When I win on this game, is it fun? Is it fun because I'm winning or is it fun because of the content that was in the match? And uh, yeah, just if you, if you know, I mean, 
unless you, otherwise you can because you can waste a lot of time playing a game for the wrong reasons and i just think if you start looking at it from these angles it will be easier to maximize you know what you're getting out of your experience because you don't get that much time in a day i mean once you start getting a bit older then you don't have much free time so yeah. what that you know what you're doing in your free time means more isn't it and you have to start looking at it in that from that perspective for sure well said yeah, yeah good advice about all games as well that's been brilliant thanks ryan all, all right. right yeah cool. and the rest of your day thanks for having me